Too much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lohr And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to episode 118 Of Horror Business Horror Business I was going to try to do the, the Klaus Kinski impression, but I can't, so yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, you just, I, for me, I would just yell, you know, just, ah, ah, I don't want to be told action and cut. Okay, that was too much. That was, that was way too much. Uh, is it though? I mean, for our recording, yes, for an impression yes, yes, of Klaus it was, Kinski, yeah. no. That was actually very restrained for an impression of Klaus Kinski. Anyway, today we are doing 1979's Tourist Trap and 1986's Crawl Space. Um, we realized moments before we started, well, we realized why we were watching these movies, but we were talking about it briefly before we started recording. Both these films were produced by legendary dickhead Charles Band. I mean, <laughs> it, it's hard because... Um... Charles Band, like many hardcore bands I know, has an early career I really love, and then a later career that makes that early career hard to believe. Um, and that, I would say, would you say he was a modern day? Uh, he was. He is the horror version of John Joseph, where his early career is amazing, sure. and today I find him utterly insufferable. I was going to say Earth Crisis, but yes, yeah, sure. Josh Joseph sure, let's is, go with that. Better, but it's better. Well, but I would say no, no, no. I wouldn't even put him say John Joseph, even though I think as a person they're not that dissimilar, maybe in some ways. But no, no, no. What I I think Earth Crisis is a better example in the sense of like, or maybe that's too mean to Earth Crisis, but to hardcore bands in general, in the sense that I actually think you know the pre Empire stuff and the Empire stuff are all. Not all, but even the ones that are bad that are Empire films, I think are pretty fun. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is not, you know, like uh, the, what is it, The Exterminators or whatever? That's not a good movie, but it's it's a fun thing. Whereas a lot of the Full Moon stuff is bad and not fun, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's like the seeds of what I liked about you are here, but they've gone very bad. You know what I mean? And I think that's true of a lot of like, later records by metalcore bands that should have packed it up. It's like, you know, all the riffs are here, but for some reason, this is bad. This is not, this is not what I came here for. And that's how I feel about Charles band. And it's, and it's a bummer because like, I think because people who know just the full moon shit are like, Oh, what a fucking hack. And I'm like, uh, kind of. Yeah. But some of that early hackery was actually pretty enjoyable. Uh, and it's weird to say that considering the disaster that full moon has become. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he's definitely like. We could sit here and talk about how much of a fucking nightmare Full Moon Productions became, but like. My man kind of definitely absolutely put out. um, Accidentally or not, some some fun movies, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Shrieker is a fun movie. Sure. OK. Seed People is a blast. I love Seed People. I mean, you know, uh. Uh, we're both uh, Stuart Gordon fans. So absolutely, there you go. Without Charles Band, no Stuart Gordon movies. You know, like that's 
that would be a huge bummer. Um, I actually think the first Puppet Master is pretty good. Uh, I think the sequels are diminishing returns. But uh, which, which Puppet Master are the puppets the good guys? I think that's the first one, right? Or is that I later ones? I always get them mixed up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that's fair. I don't actually remember. I mean, and and that's the thing. Like, I love dolls, right? But I'm not yes. like I'm not like putting on dolls once a year. So I, I it's not that. Those early movies are so amazing that that I want people to just like show a whole ton of shine on his name. It's more that the later stuff is so bad that I think people put the most amount of shit on his name who really don't like him. Like some people do like full moon stuff and that's fine. If that's you, that's cool. I get it. You love irony or whatever. But like um, I think because of that stuff, it's easy to just write off everything. And I don't think that's fair either. It's like a weird balance. Um, and, and for our movies today is a great example in my mind, because I think tourist trap is an amazing film. And yes. I think, and I think crawl space is okay. It's, I, I think it's pretty good actually, but I think it's like, um, it's actually an anomaly for this time period in his career. Like it's, it's pretty good. Well, no, it's, I guess it's it's kind of standard for what was going on there, which is like, it's pretty good, but it's no tourist trap, I don't think. No, uh, the difference being that, like, I was, like, texting you while watching Tourist Trap, and I was like, this movie is upsetting me. Like, this yeah. movie is genuinely frightening me, which is, like, not hard to do, but it's rare, and there's a movie that I've, because I'd never seen Tourist Trap before I watched it for this episode. I knew what it was, but I never sat down and actually watched it. When I did, I was just like, oh, holy shit. This is like so much more than I thought it was like. I'm in over my head here. This is this might be a little too much for me. Like just something about the the dolls and the yeah, fucking the yeah. mannequins. There's just something about that that like hits in that like sweet spot of the uncanny valley that really just makes my fucking skin crawl. Let's save some of it for the discussion. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I will say, I think people are often surprised by that movie because it doesn't get that shine. And I think because it is also, like a lot of Charles Band movies, kind of campy. And I think that going in, if you haven't seen it, you think, well, this movie is going to be campy and a little silly and therefore not scary. Those things don't necessarily cancel each other out. And I think, in fact the tone of the movie adds to the fear factor of the movie in my mind. Oh yeah. Um, one last thing before we get started on the episode on like the, I guess the history of Charles band and everything he's done. Um, it really is like, it's sad that like, not, not that, not that puppet master and seed people, um, are these like masters of filmmaking. But like you look at the shit that guy does or that company does now, and it's like it's straight up like they're the company that does like evil bong and ginger dead men. Like their entire gimmick is, like you said, irony, which I actually do have a problem with. I actually think it's like super. Uh, how do I say this without sounding like an asshole, an even bigger asshole than I actually am? I actually think it's harmful to the art of making horror films. And it diminishes what horror actually is. That they're like deliberately making these like stupid fucking schlocky, unfunny movies. You know, even now, like there's a new evil bong movie coming out. 
And I, yeah, I, it's what is it? Oh, I'm trying to remember. It's like uh, 888, right? Because they already did the 777 Something joke. dumb like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I See, I'll say when it comes to the evil bong movies, I just assume it's because I'm straight edge. So I don't understand the joke. I just don't get the joke. Well, here's the thing. As 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 the son of a marijuana knot, I have an un- I'm like a go between for the tribe. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I understand Weedians and I just think that like even Weedians should be ashamed of this movie because it's like Yeah, it's I mean just not I was, funny. Yeah, I was only kidding. There's no way any I mean, I I think you're right that Well, okay, let's put it this way though. I think that the people who really love irony probably don't like something like Evil Bong. Because like let's we always use it as an example and we might be being unfair. But the ultimate irony movie or, or mo- liking a movie because you're ironically liking it is The Room, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I would say comparing Evil Bong to The Room is not even fair because the people who made Evil Bong weren't trying to do something and failing. They just like don't give a fuck, you know. Yeah. Whereas, like, what's so amazing about the room, regardless of how Wiseau tries to sell it, I was like, no, I knew it was funny. Is like, you know, he did it. You know, he thought he made was making like a real movie, and so if you're laughing at that, that's the erotic thing you're laughing at. It's like, you know, it's like when people really love science crazed. You know, like science crazed is like, I mean, it's a little different because Tommy was so like as much as the room sucks, it's like it feels like a real movie where science craze is like a, like a two hour VHS tape of, of people just walking down hallways and stuff. Uh, but it's sincere, right? No one who made science craze was like, Oh man, people are going to get high and totally laugh at how stupid we are. But like, yeah. that's what evil bog is. It's literally like, no, it's like, it's like what we did was bad though. You know, it's like, that's, I don't see how that's fun for anyone. I don't understand how that's fun for anyone. It's dumb. It's super fucking it, it, it's just like, it's Rick James. It's I'm Rick James bitch all over again in like movie form. It's just anyway, before we call for the heads of the makers of, uh, evil bog, uh, who do we have to thank for this episode? Just, we have to thank the premier screen printing company. Well, first off, before we thank fucking monstrous Chris reject, <laughs> we have to thank our beautiful, ethereal, angelic, patrons over on patreon.com backslash cinepunks who have who have listened to who have interacted with some element of the cinema cinepunks podcast network and they have decided these people are worthy of my hard-earned money and we are so fucking grateful for that and if you want to be one of those just beautifully christ-like people those mothers Teresa. If you want to be like them, you can head to Cine- uh, yeah, Cinepunks.com, Patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And if you want to give $5 or $1 or $10 or whatever, thank you so much. Because running a podcast network, it doesn't generate money, but it kind of does cost money. And we want to at least not come out too far in the, in the, is it in the red? That's when, yeah, in the red. We want to we want to come out like a little bit in the red, ideally maybe a tiny bit in the black. And you guys make that possible, and for that, we fucking thank you. Yeah, that's all right. It's fine. Uh the next people, the next people. 
The next people we want to thank are the, the premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley area, possibly Pennsylvania, possibly uh, the solar system. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, uh, if I wanted to get t-shirts made that said Team Harley Flanagan. <laughs> Yo, how cr- I, I don't want to get distracted by this too much. How crazy is it now? Like, I, you know, recently, probably in the last year, I keep seeing people posting footage of the Harley Crowbacks. And if you had told me pre-pandemic that suddenly there would be this surge in popularity of the Harley Crowbags and the and the and the JJ Crowbags would be like a joke, I would say, Peshaw, good sir. No yeah. one. Th- there's no such possibility. I mean uh, the Harley Chromax have a song with a cello on it. There's no way this shit's gonna take off. And the have reality you, is, have you heard the song without her? Like it is the most cornball bullshit ever. But somehow, somehow, I kind of like the Harley Chromax. I I mean I will say this for me, the correct answer is simply no Chromax. I'm I'm done with the Chromax because oh yeah. I saw a meme today how it was like, if you want to listen to like ignorant, hard, hardcore from New York City, just listen to Marauder. That's fine. Like, just listen to Master Killer. It's, it's, what's, you know what's funny about that though? That's actually the second, the original meme. It's just memes saying that hardcore records are better than Age of Quarrel and it just makes people mad. The first version I saw was actually Judge bringing it down. And I was like, hard fact. I was like, hard cosine. I was like, don't be wrong. I, I don't technically agree on like a base level. I prefer Age of Quarrel to judge. That being said, if you were like, okay, there's two shows tonight in Chicago, Crowbags or Judge, which one do you want to go to? I'm going to the Judge show, and I've seen them now a couple times. There's yeah, why no like, wouldn't you? I, but I just would rather go because it's just like, I can't. I'm just done with. I mean, okay, this is not the hardcore time. We've a lot of hardcore talk in the horror podcast today, so apologies <laughs> to everybody. But like, it's just like, I, I, you know, the songs at Age of Quarrel will always be great songs. I don't understand how people are still like, yo, maybe I'll get a Chromax tattoo or maybe I need to buy this retro Chromax shirt. It's like the shine is off for me, buddies. Like I'm just done with yeah, that. Whole yeah, yeah, I'm 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 over it. I'm you know, I obviously those songs can't you can't take away those songs and like how good they are, but like I'm like I'm done. <laughs> anyway, if I wanted to get that shirt made, where would I go? You would go to xlvacx.com if you want to communicate with uh, We Have Value Apparel Creations over the internet. Or, uh, you know, well, that's probably the only way you should do it. You should go to their website. You can shoot them an email. Uh, and uh, Chris and his team will help you print whatever it is that you need. You know, uh, whether it's hats, shirts, uh, album covers, cool socks, uh, butt flaps. They're going to help you uh, print whatever it is. Yeah. So one more time, that's www.xlvacx.com. And as always, yeah, do not let those X's fool you. No. Um, I hung out with Chris at the Real Rumble event. He's not fucking straight edge. He's not. not he, was on, he was on this show recently. And Unfortunately. I could smell the booze coming across the microphone. I, I was in the room with him. I could smell. He smelled like a fucking gin mill. It was, I was offended and hurt. That's what's so weird, though, right? Is that he doesn't even drink booze. He just like chews the various ingredients to booze and then like lets it ferment in his just mouth. Radiates. It's yeah. so fucking disgusting. It's sickening. He's that much of a horror 
fucking creature. <laughs> www.xlvacx.com. Uh, the underscore LVAC on Instagram. Don't send them a private message because he will not do business with you because he is neurotic. Uh, Liam, who else do we have to thank? Well, our friend Aaron Dahlbeck has a coffee company called Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, and, you know, they specialize in quality beans roasted to order, uh, taking some of the mystery out of quality coffee. You know, after years of touring with the likes of Bain, Converge, Tenured Fight, and now his band Be Well, uh, Aaron really knows how hard it can be sometimes to find a quality cup of coffee. And so with Essex Coffee Roasters, he's trying to help with that. They also have uh, quality teas there uh, and quality t-shirts as well uh-huh. uh so if you head to sxcoffeeroasters.com you know order a bunch of stuff order some coffee get the subscription service get some tea some chai get yourself a hoodie whatever the fuck on your way out you're gonna put in the code area c-i-n-e-p-u-n-x cinepunks that's the name of this network that we are on you're gonna get 10 percent off your order please do that that makes us look so good it really helps us out that really gives us some help and you know you wanted that stuff anyway, so just put the code in. I don't yeah, know why, why you're not putting you put the, the code. code. Just in. put the fucking code in. We also want to thank, of course, uh, our editor on this episode and basically all our episodes over the last couple of years, uh, Sharky over at MechanicalSharkMedia.com. Uh, whatever your audiovisual needs are, whether you need a video filmed, you need special effects for a project, you need to stream an event of some kind, uh, Sharky can help you out. He can produce podcasts. He can edit sound. It, you know, it's it's a house of media over there, and he can do everything, do it professionally, and uh, maybe help you out with some sort of problem you have. You don't know how to accomplish something. You have a vision for something, and you don't know how to get there. I think Sharky's who you need to talk to. So head on over to mechanicalsharkmedia.com. Wonderful human being. It's true. Uh, now comes the time in the podcast when I, I am in need of an apartment. And I, I uh-huh. see a, I see a sign like apartment open and I knock on the door and, and Liam opens the door, but he keeps the chain thing on. And I say, Hey, I'm here about the apartment. And Liam says, it's already been rented. It's, it's rented already. And I'm like, okay. And he goes to shut the door and I like stop and I'm like, okay, but can you at least tell me what you've done involving car recently? Mm. Justin, if you were the one applying for my apartment at my uh, death apartment building, I'd let you in. My, Thank part, you. I appreciate my apartments that. would all be beefy boys. <laughs> <laughs> you let tat daddies get in right away. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, today, this very day that we are speaking on, Justin, I got in my car about mid- midday, mid-morning, really, and I drove up the highway here in Chicago, which is always taking your life in your hands. Uh, <laughs> As I can testify. Yeah, it, you know, driving in... The Chicago suburbs, you just are saying, like, my life doesn't really matter. Uh, and I drove up to Rosemont, Rosemont, Illinois, uh, to the AMC there in Rosemont so that I could catch a 1210 screening of Crimes of the Future, the new David Cronenberg oh. film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, is it is it the most traditional horror movie I've seen in a while? No. No, it is not. I, there are some people who say, it's more of a sci-fi drama. Than a, and Every single one of these people could eat my entire ass because it's close enough. It's basically a horror movie. Uh, and I loved it. I think uh, there's, a, you know, the the reviews are mixed. I see a lot of people saying it's a little bit boring and it's Cronenberg rehashing old material. Like, I don't. David Cronenberg. I hate to say it. You but may have heard of. Here's, here's the reality. Let me say it. 
David Cronenberg, now that much closer to death, at the point where most directors put out some bullshit that makes you embarrassed that you love them, goes back to material that he couldn't get made in the 90s, and he makes it. And it is, it's not quite, I guess, as gooey as some of his other things, which I guess people thought it would be a total gross out. But it has a lot of themes of like body autonomy and changing humanity and uh, transhumanism and all this stuff. All these themes that Cronenberg was laying the track for. He now has culminated in this film. And it's ridiculous. And some of the performances are ridiculous. And it's in some ways, maybe it isn't the full story people wanted because it doesn't resolve entirely. You really get the feeling that our main character, the Vigo Mortensen character, who is an artist, and his artistry, he does performance art with uh, Lea Seydoux, a uh, French actress people might know from Blue is the Warmest Color or that last uh, Royal Tenenbaums. She was in that? No, she was in his new movie. Oh, oh, uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, people might know her from Blue is the Warmest Color or the most recent Wes Anderson movie, which she's stellar in if you haven't seen it. Uh, but she basically her and Viggo Mortensen are performance artists in the future. And their performance art is um, Viggo Mortensen's character, like many people in the future, uh, grows superfluous organs, just things that he doesn't need. And she removes them publicly in these public performances. And it's about people at war with their bodies, basically, uh, and the feeling that our bodies are trying to kill us. Uh, there's, there's another phrase in the movie that Kristen Stewart, who, by the way, is the best in this movie. She's so awkward and horny in this movie. It's so good. And she whispers in this breathy, nerdy tone to Viggo Mortensen, isn't surgery the new sex? And I mean, I'd say I orgasm, but I was too afraid to, because the whole thing was just so fucking weird. It's, it's one of those movies where. It's both gross and sexy because that's what David Cronenberg does. Uh, if it, you know, if this is your kink, then no judgment on you. For me, Justin, it was like I intellectually acknowledge that there are very breathy, sexy things happening, but I am utterly grossed out, so I am not feeling that. Um, and I think the movie ultimately has commentary on, like, obviously, like, like a lot of Cronenberg films, like what it is to be human, uh, in what ways the government might be trying to control our bodies you know, some real Foucault shit going on, but also like um, maybe aspects of it are metaphors for art itself and the ways that we try to control art. While if art is art, it's always going to be a bit anarchic, you know? So it's like the relationship yeah. between commerce and art, art and politics, and really like, anyways, I don't want to, th- there's a lot more to say about the movie. And I think people in the future will have a lot more to say about the movie, but it, the ending is a part of that. And I don't want to ruin that for anyone. I will say, um, you know, I try to be generous to people and their responses. Some of the reviews I was reading where people were just like, and by reviews, I just mean people on letterbox. I was like totally confused at the people who were like super bummed on this movie. I guess it's not like super exciting. It's very much a moody piece of work, but like, I don't know if you can make it through naked lunch. I don't know how you, or, or, or existence or whatever else. I don't know why this wouldn't also be awesome for you, but whatever. I, I thought it was great. I highly recommend it to anyone for whom, uh, a piece of Cronenberg film that is gross and doesn't have a lot of tension in it, but is still upsetting. Sounds like a good time. Then this is exactly for you. And I, and I think you'll like it a lot. Um, 
am I excited that he's still doing more movies? Like this is not his goodbye. Sure. I don't think it's like his best thing ever. I don't think it's like, that's it. He's, he's closed the book in his career. And this is the, this is the perfect final film. Nothing like that. But am I surprised he was able to go back to this material and make it work? Yeah, man. Like, you know, what was the last thing he did? The Maps of the Stars? Wasn't that? The yeah, last he one? hasn't really done like a quote unquote Cronenberg movie in a while. Like, I, mean, I love A History of Violence, but that's barely a Cronenberg movie. I mean, I like some of his lower. Like, I like Cosmopolis, actually. And I like uh, I like Eastern Promises. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the the. I think the other one, the I forget what it's called, but it's like the the uh, psychology sex movie that has like Freud and and Young in it. I think that movie yeah. has, doesn't quite work, but I don't. But I don't think it's. I don't know. I th- I think that he, that movie. I think he thinks is much more interesting than it is. Like it's not like you know. <laughs> does that make sense? Like he thinks the yeah. intellectual material is moving that movie forward, and I'm like, I'm not. I'm not interested in any of this. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I recommend it. I think it's, I think it's a. I wouldn't go as far as to say return to form, but it, it is fun to see him going back to this kind of thing. And I thought the performances were great. And like I said, Chris Stewart is. I, you know, we've said this before on. I've said it on Cinepunks. I think we've said it on this show. People need to put more respect on Chris Stewart's name. Like I get it. Like she was in fucking Twilight. You know, la di di la di da. She's moved on. Let's all move on with her. You know, the same that we do with uh, emo Batman. Both yeah. these both these actors deserve to like for us to just let Twilight go. Or if you love Twilight, that's cool. Keep putting respect on their name because you love Twilight. But like people still want to punish them or treat them, whatever. And I think she's great. Like, I think she has done other things besides Twilight that aren't great, but it's not like she's bad in them. The movies just didn't work. But I think her performances are getting better and better and people need to respect that. Also, let's not forget that Kristen Stewart did not ruin Twilight. Twilight was not this um, magnificent film that, like, she brought down. You know what I mean? Uh, that that I, I just think it's horribly unfair to be like, oh, she was in Twilight. It's like, yeah, but you know who else was in Twilight? Like, I don't know. I've never, I think I've seen one of those movies. Like, Robert Pattinson was in Twilight and a bunch of other people. I just feel that she gets the brunt of the shit for being in those movies when she has done like a lot of really, yeah, you know, a lot of really great movies uh, since then. It's just, I don't know. There's a touch of misogyny in there. Just a, just a, just a I think, touch. yeah, I think it's more than a touch, but yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I also, I forgot that we haven't recorded since we, I finished it, finished uh, stranger things a little bit ago. Uh, Tight. Me, me and Suze, we just sort of ran through it together. I really liked it. I I get it's another thing where like, I think there are people who are tired of stranger things, I guess there just seems to be like a exhaustion when people talk about that movie. Like I just feeling of, Oh God, stranger thing. We're still doing this. And I'm like, I don't know what anyone's talking about. I, this, I mean, maybe if I revisit other seasons, there's stuff I'll be frustrated with every season. There's something I don't love. You know, I'll say this season, the Russian stuff started to wear on me because we all know he's going to, you know, do what he's going to do. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. We all know what the culmination of what they're building up to is going to be. So once you know that you just want to see it. And the fact that it just keeps going and going and going, I'm like, I don't need this update every time, man. Like just, I I know where he's going to end up. Just put me there. Okay. Like I don't, you know, I, I just didn't find that interesting. Whereas I found her journey 
to meet him, I found that interesting. Like her oh, and, yeah. and Brett Gallman. I thought they were great, but I just thought the stuff with him and I get like, he got ripped for this. Like I've seen videos of him working out, like, you know, good for him. I'm glad he got in shape for the role. I don't give a fuck. Like it's <laughs> just, it's just getting boring it, it, when there's so many very tense things happening in other parts of the season that started to wear on me, but that is, that made it sound like a major complaint. It was a minor thing. It was just a minor complaint to me. Um, overall, I found the whole, this volume of the season entirely enjoyable. And I don't understand the, 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 the exhaustion. Like I understand there are people who never like the show and that's fine. There's no, no reason to jump on season four if you've never liked the show, but the people who like used to love the show and now are like, Ugh, oh, I'm so over stranger things. I don't get it. I, I think it's, I think it's firing on all cylinders now more for me than maybe it did in the past. Even my, only complaint about this season literally the only thing i didn't like about it isn't really a problem with the season i just wish that they hadn't announced that robert england was in this season oh they announced it i didn't know it was a total surprise to me oh i would have i would have killed to have that been a surprise for me oh i fist pumped i was so stoked dude when he like when it's revealed who it is i was just like fuck i wish i could have gone into that fucking blind but it was like, yeah, it was like bloody disgusting did a thing on it. Like it was all over. It, yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't read the trades, Justin. No, I know. But it was just like it was one of those things that I, 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 I watched and I was like, that probably would have been like. I don't know, just like a God tier moment. Sure. Yeah. If, if it had been kept under wraps, but it I, I, I will say the other thing that sort of. It doesn't bum me out, but I I think people criticize it. It's worth saying it's like the, you know, this is a show set in the 80s in Indiana. And they slowly each season increase the number of black characters without ever really directly addressing race at all. And I don't know that that's the best way to handle this. I think we can still have not a lot of black characters, but just have you talk about it. They just never talk about it. And I'm like. Okay. All right. Like this season with the introduction of the, of the new sheriff, uh, I was like, okay, that's, it's not implausible, but like some acknowledgement that like, it's not hugely likely in rural Indiana to find a black sheriff just in the eighties. It just wasn't that common. It wasn't impossible, but it wasn't common. And then the fact that no one ever, especially in the midst of a, of a mob situation that like, we're Uh just not going to acknowledge like a lot of angry white people here. You guys cool with this? You guys cool with all the angry yeah, white people? Yeah. It, it's just weird. It just is a weird decision to just never acknowledge, especially in a show where like this is a goofy fantasy show in which the Cold War is very present. Like it's not like politics aren't here. Like Reagan is haunting this show top to bottom, except for the drug war, which is entirely racial. If people don't realize that, and yeah. so like we're we, you know there's there's no drug war to talk about but there's a cold war to talk about and i just think like a little bit you don't have to make the show about race but just a little bit of an acknowledgement of it would be helpful you know like i i think about you know i actually saw a video about this recently so someone was uh responding to one of these like 80s nostalgia accounts and they were like man white people in the 80s really had no black friends huh because it was like this this whole account on tiktok it was all old people's old videos from high school in the 80s and there were never any black people in any of the videos and i was like yeah that was the 80s like you know like you know i you know i had a you know i i went to high school in the 90s right and one of my friends in high school is this guy cecil 
we grew up together and he had an older brother who was significantly older than him who went to the same high school we did. And I think he graduated in like 87 or 88. And he was the first black kid to graduate from the school. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Michael Landon grew up in my town and he was the first Jewish kid to graduate from the school. So to give you an idea of what uh, uh, Collinsville, New Jersey used to be like. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know if he was the first actually, but Michael Landon used to get beat up a lot for being Jewish and uh, talked about the town in a very, very negative way. Anyways, point is this. Things were still fucked in the 80s. <laughs> and I wish the show just acknowledged that just a teeny bit. Like I said, it doesn't have to be about that per se, but just a little bit of like, okay, you know, this is something that would be present. It would be in the air at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, still, I, I though, feel you on that. Still, so that's two strong criticisms of the show. And yet I'm on board and I cannot fucking wait for the second part of this season because I am wrapped up, Justin. I am on the edge of my seat, bated breath, waiting to see what's going to happen. I did not see that reveal at the end of, of the whole number one. Like I was watching that and being like, shut the fuck up. Like I honestly had no idea that that's how, like that's how the Creole family tied into all this. Cause right. I knew, I knew they were going to come back to like Robert England and the Creole family. Like I knew that that wasn't just going to be like a gun. They weren't going to fire. Like I knew, but when it came back to that and I was like, Oh, holy shit. It's that. And plus that fucking actor is like, that was terrifying. Like that was genuinely, <sighs> I had a conversation with my one coworker about how like there are certain people, there are certain actors who have faces that by all rights should not be attractive. Um, Jennifer Carpenter is one of them. Like Jennifer Carpenter has a very obviously asymmetrical face and she has this like strange, like I think she's gorgeous except when she's in movies like the exorcism of Emily Rose, where she can very easily turn her face into something like inhuman. And it's so unsettling. That's how I felt about the character on Stranger Things, the who was the number one character. Like, he's a very good-looking guy, but by all rights, he shouldn't be. And when he goes, when he makes, like, the heel switch, it's, like, it's unsettling the way his features look. Like, to me, the way that guy looked when he was going up against Eleven, his face was more unsettling without any sort of prosthetics than fucking Bill Skarsgård was as Pennywise the Clown. Like, it was that unnatural looking to me. And just something about that, like, struck me as like, oh, that's, that is, that is something else. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, uh, I think we're getting close to spoiling aspects. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so a, let's, yes, yeah. let's move on. I'm, that's it for me, I think. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I watched that was worthwhile. I don't think so, man. What What about you? What horror stuff you been doing? Uh, I started watching a television show on Paramount called Evil. It's in the third season. Oh yeah, I watched the first season with Susan when it was on. I I think they took it off Netflix when Paramount started. So yeah. I watched that first season with Susan and really liked it. And then we never went back to it. Not because we didn't want to. It's just there's so much TV, man. It's hard to keep up with all of it. I'm a big fan of how like I'm only on I'm only like four episodes in, but I'm a big fan of how like every single case they've investigated so far, there has been like a natural explanation for it. 
and yet it is ruined people's lives. Like, I just think that's like, like there was an episode I just watched where there was like a Broadway director who was like convinced he was haunted by a demon. Right. Yeah. And it was just like some asshole fucking with him. And the guy like took his own life because of that. And then there's one where they're like, oh, the little boy's possessed and his, you know, he does something that's so terrible. His parents fucking murder him. And I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm with this show. If they're going to, and they've also established clearly on the show that like objective evil with a capital E exists. They've, they've established that they've established that this show has like God and I'm like, and yet all the terrible things that have happened have been done by just like regular people. And I just think there's something that is like really, really, really interesting about that. Um, I also, uh, got a book I posted on an Instagram uh, it's called Sausages, The Making of Dog Soldiers. Yeah, I saw that. That looked really cool. It is so cool. If you can find that book, fucking get it, because it's amazing. Like, um, I've talked extensively about how much I love that movie, uh, but the, the behind-the-scenes making of it is so much... I don't want to say crazy, because it's nothing that's, like, too out there. But it's just as like detailed and like passionate and dedicated as you think it is. Um, it's just a really fascinating story of how they, um, how they they went from this like relatively simple idea into just producing a movie that, by all rights, has no right to be as good as it is. Um, and it's like there's a lot of really neat behind the scenes footage of like. It's, you know, there's like a scene where like a guy who's playing a werewolf, he's wearing pants and who doesn't like a werewolf wearing pants? It's funny. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did. Oh, uh, not technically horror, but there was a scene in it that I, that I thought was kind of scary. Um, I went and saw the new Jurassic Park film. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, absolute nostalgic bait, absolute, you know, just like two hours and change of um, you guys remember this from the first movie. Well, blah, here it is again. Like uh, it's kind of a mess as a movie, but it's a very fun movie. But there is a scene where characters have to go through a mine, like an amber mine to get out. And the things that menace them in the mine, the dinosaurs they chose, um, or as a lot of fucking idiot nerds have pointed out on the internet, they're not actually dinosaurs. Technically, they're or they're they're Permian proto reptile. Some fucking scientific egghead bullshit. Um, but there is a scene that involves these dinosaurs chasing people through mines that is like up there with the um the T Rex chasing down um Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern and the other guy in the first film, like very creepy, very effective, very Spielbergian and uh, just kind of a diamond in the rough of a relatively like otherwise fluff filled movie. So hmm. I hear you. Yeah. Um, I, other than I, that, I definitely want to see it, but I don't know if I'm going to see it in theater. I think I'll wait till home video. Uh, I'll, <laughs> It's worth seeing, but to give you an idea of how underwhelming it was, uh, Carly Wazerstein of the Final Girls, who is a noted 
uh, Jurassic Park fangirl. When we were texting about it, she was like, yeah, that movie was a mess. I mean, I had a good time, but it was okay. Whereas, like, it, like, it was a movie that, like, um, you know, she wasn't thrilled on it, which says something because she loves Jurassic Park. You know, same with my sister. Like, Jurassic Park sure. is my sister's favorite movie of all time. And she was like, yeah, it was good. You know, it wasn't great, but it was fine. So it's like, um, I'd say definitely go see it because it's, it's, it's a fun movie, but it's not like... um. It is a pale reflection of Spielberg's original vision. Okay. Yeah. I think if I'm going to go to a nonsense blockbuster in the theater this week, it'll probably be Top Gun, unfortunately. Yeah. I've heard weirdly good things about that. I think it's just because of the plaints of, I, from what I understand, I think the plot is as nonsense as you think it will be, but they got so much leeway to film crazy jets doing crazy jet things that I think even the most skeptical viewers like, I don't know. That was pretty cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think I'm just going to subject myself to that if I go again or not, but the, the difference is I'll probably watch the Jurassic one. Even if I don't go to the theater, I'll probably watch it home. This Top Gun movie. I, I don't see it in theater, man. That's it for me. I'm not watching it at home. There's no reason to watch that shit. at home. There's no reason to watch a Jurassic park movie for the first time at home. All right. All right, all right, we'll see. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we are going to talk about 1979's American Supernatural slasher film. I like that this movie didn't have to be Supernatural, but Charles Band insisted on it. Um, Supernatural slasher film directed by David Schmaller and starring motherfucking Chuck Connors, which I didn't know. Uh, Tourist Trap. We'll be right back. Every year, hundreds of young people travel the country and disappear. God help those who get caught in the tourist trap. <laughs> tourist trap, where beautiful young people looking for excitement are tricked, terrorized, suspense that makes this the nightmare that never ends. Something crazy is going on at the tourist trap. back to talk about 1979's Taurus Trap. Now, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. This is the first time I've seen this movie. Which I cannot believe. That's crazy to me. 
This movie is, how would I describe this? This is an underrated movie, I think. I think this movie should be up there with like Halloween and um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. I think the only reason it's not is because it it didn't lead to like a franchise. I, is there a tourist trap too? I don't think so. Okay, yeah. It didn't lead to a franchise. Um, But holy fucking shit, this movie is so much fun and so legitimately scary, which is such a rare thing. A, for me to enjoy a slasher film as much as I did, and B, to be actually frightened by one. And this movie uh, did both. And not just like, I wasn't like... <laughs> It wasn't like I had a low bar and it just like, I kind of like the movie just like barely made it over. Like, again, I was texting Liam, like this movie is, is terrifying. Like this movie is upsetting me. There, there was, there were so many scenes in this movie where it was like, I don't like this. <laughs> if it keeps, if it, if they show this guy in that mask for like two more seconds, I'm going to turn this movie off. Cause it's just too much for me. <laughs> like, and especially like that first scene where like the first guy gets killed, where the dolls are all laughing at him. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I was so, ups I was so bummed out by that. Like, just like, Oh, I, I got, I just, uh, enough of me nonsensically rambling. You love this movie. I know you've loved this movie for years. I've heard you talk about it often, very fondly. Tell me your tell me uh, tell me why Liam loves this movie. I mean, you covered a lot of it in the sense of like, uh, this is a, and maybe this doesn't sound like an endorsement to people. I think this is a fucked up movie. And yes, and it's not. <clears throat> everyone has their own measure of what is upsetting, right? Uh, for some people, it's going to be gore. For some people, it's going to be like something like sexual violence. For some people, it's just going to be uh, tense surprise after surprise, whatever it is, right? I think this movie combines a number of things very effectively. One, as you said, is uh, not only are there wax figures everywhere, which is just upsetting. There are wax figures yeah. already on, at, at, on my edge here. Uh, but our main sort of slasher guy is both psychotic, like he is, he is, you know, uh, uh, embodying different characters and possibly different personalities. He's also psychic. He has telekinetic powers. What the he fuck? He is a mutant. He is an X-Men. He, I mean, it's, it is, I mean, it's not like Firestarter, but it is very much like Carrie in some ways, you know what I mean? Like, it's very much like he is enacting these things. Um, so it combines that with what is, in my mind, a tonal nightmare. Like, this movie just continues to be good-natured and fun until a kill scene happens, and then the movie is utterly cruel which is the literal embodiment of our main character, who is the sweetest, most supportive guy until he puts on his upsetting mask and murders these young oh people. Oh, God, I hate that fucking thing. The mask is so... I, I mean, don't like also, it. The mask is upsetting. The wax figures are upsetting. The way that, like, the one girl 
you really get the vibe that the the one young woman who is not afraid of him and thinks that he's on her side, she's so into him that you start to think like, is she gonna fuck this dude? Is that where this is going? I mean, it's Chuck Connors. Like, I don't yeah. know how. Yeah. I, I mean, he's he, he's. He, I think he's on the Rifleman. Like that's that's where I know him from. Sure. So it, it's like he is like the he is the archi- like he is like John Wayne without the baggage. Like. <laughs> He that that's that's how I would describe Chuck Connors. Well, I mean, here's the deal. He is utterly upsetting in this movie. He does oh, weird God. voices. He is both threatening and vulnerable. There's I mean, I guess that's part of it is his performance. He's utterly unhinged. And the fact that her. It's also this movie isn't unrealistic, like the the there are multiple times where you think maybe these young people have a chance. Right. Yeah. Where he just captures them and then they start to get away and all this. Stuff. And it's because those aspects of it, like and maybe people don't realize this anymore. If every person who runs into the killer is just immediately slaughtered and because the killer is, I don't know, magic or some bullshit. You know what I mean? Like this dude has actual powers and he's not perfect. Something about that makes it more. Again, I don't want to overestimate this. There are plenty of people who watch this movie and it's not going to bum them out. But I think for a certain segment of of horror people, the combo of his performance with the uh, wax figures and his fucked up mask, the psychology of it all, it really gets starts to get really upsetting by the end. The reasons, all the stuff going on with that character uh, and that mask that he wears. I think some people are going to be who've never seen this will be fucking bummed on it. And I think that's the point, you know, like that, that this is actually a mean little movie that hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. And I think, you know, there are lots of movies that are mean to no end, you know, nothing is achieved. They're just cruel for no reason. And every time this movie makes the, the mean decision, it is effective for the story. It's effective for the atmosphere. It's effective for the general feeling of like fear. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, you know, I wouldn't put it on the same pedestal as Halloween for me because that's one of my all timers, but like, it's just below. I mean, like I said, I would say it's like a tier below like Black Christmas and Halloween for me when it comes to slasher movies, but it's miles above, let's say, Friday the 13th. Absolutely. Definitely above any of the Friday the 13th sequels for me. I know some people won't agree because they love slashers, but for me, it's like this is, you know, it's it's no uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but is it better than Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's like I had said earlier how like Charles Band just kind of shoehorned the uh, idea of the killer being like telekinetic in there. And that on paper sounds really dumb until you realize like he just uses it to fuck with people. Right. It's it's purely for creating more fear and and he doesn't have to torture these people before he kills them. No, he really wants to. And all he does is he uses it to make the dolls move, which I'm almost 40 and I didn't like. <laughs> I didn't like the dolls crowding around people. I didn't like the dolls singing everything involving the dolls. I was just like, I should be too old for this to get under my skin. But there's just something about it that like. You know what? You know, it, it, it's kind of like the end of like Evil Dead with the, 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 the claymation that's like very like artificial looking. 
but it kind of just like punches through the wall and just becomes like nightmare fuel. That's how I felt about this movie was like, they're obviously just like animatronic puppets, but like the rest of this movie is so startling and puts you in such a mind state that it kind of like catches you off balance. So when these things happen, you're like, you're, you're, you're like vulnerable to being like afraid of them. And I, I, I just did not expect that with this movie. I, 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 I did not expect that from a, what could have, what by all rights could have very easily been like a run of the mill slasher, just a guy in a, a little like shitty tourist trap hotel on like some highway that's like disused and he has a weird mask and he's killing like young kids. That's all this movie needed to be. But instead they add like the mannequins and like, it just becomes like something fucking nightmarish. It's just. Whew. It's important to keep in mind. I think one of the reasons that this film hasn't gotten the attention it deserves is that it's rated PG. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, People have lists of like actually good PG films, you know. We've talked about um uh what is it what is it uh Burnt Offerings, you know, that's yeah. a PG movie which fuck, really? Uh or uh you know, the uh disputedly directed uh Poltergeist uh is a PG movie. Uh <laughs> and and what I think is so interesting is most of the PG horror movies that I've seen are still pretty upsetting. Like I get, yeah. I get that they don't have lots of tits and blood. You know what I mean? Like there's not, there's, there's a, there's a swimming scene in this movie, but you don't really see anything. I guess that's different than other horror movies, but the fact that this got a PG, I mean, the director just straight up said he thought if it had been rated R, it would have done better financially. That might be true, man. I bet you people saw a PG horror film. Nah, I'm good. And like the, you are missing out. This is, this is some, real nightmare fuel of a movie and yet you know it just didn't censors didn't care i mean he should have just thrown in a cunnilingus scene then it would have definitely gotten an x yeah <laughs> or just two male mannequins with cowboy hats just kissing oh yeah that's true that's true that would have definitely got them at least an r and like another really cool thing about this movie is like the red herring was one of the most creative things I've seen because the guy's like, yeah, my fucking brother lives in this shitty out there. That's my brother. And then like when he said that by all rights, red flag, I should be like, oh, there's no brother. That's him. And I didn't. I did not until like. Really? The, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Like I, 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 I was like, oh, no, that's totally it. He, he totally has a brother who lives out there. And then when it's like it's revealed that it's actually just Chuck Connors the whole time. I was like, oh, <gasps> <laughs> You'd think at this point I'd be like, ah, that's totally him. But I, it fucking got me. The, the disrespect that this movie has gotten. I mean, first of all, this movie made like no money, right? Uh, in, in the, in the theaters, it has not gotten, I mean, I will say, I think it has gotten a little bit more of a revival than, than you think. I think there are a lot of people who like it, but it's, it doesn't have the iconic status. You know, if no, you're at, if you're at a horror con, there's not a lot of people fucking cosplaying the, the, the plaster uh, on set. They started to call the mask that Chuck Connors would wear plaster face. There's not a lot of plaster face, uh, fucking cosplay or whatever like that. Also, Chuck Connor took the role cause he wanted to reinvent himself as like a horror icon. He's like, all right, it's the oh 80s. Oh my God. That's amazing. It's the eighties. People are into horror. 
I'm going to pull like a late career Boris Karloff and just do horror movies from now on. But then nobody saw the shit. So like that ended that. Could you have imagined a whole run of horror movies with fucking this dude? God, I, that would I think have been amazing. His performance of this really says to me, like, he would have been fucking unbelievable. I mean, maybe he did more and I just don't know about them, but I don't think so. Yeah. What now, a bummer. One, one weird little bit of, of cultural impact that this film had. Um, are you familiar with the work of Eric, the performance artist Eric Fournier and the Shea St. John phenomenon? No, not at all. Okay. Um, so I think it was back in the late 80s, early 90s. There was this... Uh, in, yeah, it was Indiana. This guy named Eric Fournier. I'll put the link up on, on, our, on our Twitter. Um, he made a series of short films about a character named Shea St. John, who was described as a model who... Um, her story was she was hit by a train. She lost her arms and legs, but instead of using prosthetics, she added mannequin parts to her face and added wooden hands. Now, the mask was inspired by the mask from this movie. I have made the mistake of watching a few of these films, and I can honestly say um, this shit is uh, not for the faint of heart. Like, it is a brand of horror that you will recognize immediately. You want to talk about the uncanny valley and the weird mundane horror of a nightmare. This guy nails it. And there was actually a documentary made about him because I believe he. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing because this is a horrible thing. He died. Uh from alcohol-induced internal bleeding. This guy lived a fucking life. Um, there's been a documentary about it called Eric and Shay. Uh, and it's just like... There's like the weird internet... Like I guess you could say these were early versions of... Uh, I don't want to say memes, but early viral videos back in the day. Because they're just these short, little, like, two-minute movies of this character just walking around Hollywood Hills. Um, and it's upsetting. It's very upsetting, much in the same way that like a lot of this film is upsetting, but even more so because there's no person behind it. It's, it's entirely a mannequin doing all this shit, which means it can move in like really weird ways. Um, so if you get a chance, look up, it's uh, Shea St. John, S-H-A-Y-E St. John. And, um, yeah, you know, don't you know, just do it and then have fun not sleeping tonight. I like have fun not sleeping tonight. That's very good. Yeah. All right. I guess that's about it for Tour Strap. I mean, I think there. I think the only thing we haven't said that's probably worth mentioning is part of the vibe here, right, is uh, uh, fear of the South, like red, red and exploitation is sort of under the surface. Yes. There had already been a series of movies like that. Uh, the most obvious of which, of course, is uh, is uh, Deliverance. Deliverance, but yeah. that was just one of a like a whole run of movies that we don't talk about as much anymore. That's a little bit of what's going on here. They don't play it too hard, but you know, Chuck Connors, he's got the accent. They're in the middle of nowhere. The museum is very much like remembering the heroes of the the war of of uh, uh, northern the aggression. War, 
War of Northern Aggression. Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, there's definitely some of that going on, but they don't play it up too hard. But it is worth mentioning that's some of the anxiety there. And for me, and this is no disrespect to our, our Southern listeners, uh, Southern anxiety movies, they, they work for me, even though these are a bunch of white kids who probably, you know, would probably be okay in a lot of situations. For me on a personal level, those sorts of movies, I'm like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable. All right, I get it. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, so that was partly going on for me as well. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I just think like, again, I guess there's a campy, corny aspect to this. But under the surface of that, there's also some like real mean vibes that I think people would like if they give this movie a chance. Oh, yeah. I I, uh, I highly recommend this movie. Um, I guess we spoiled it, but like it doesn't really. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's still. A, it's still a blast. It's still. Um, I, I just. I. I cannot emphasize how like quietly terrifying this film is. All right. So that's that's tourist trap. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back. We're gonna talk about 1986's American horror film, thriller film, starring Klaus Kinski. Crawlspace. We'll be right back. Someone is watching. Someone is waiting. Waiting until you're alone. Waiting until you're trapped. Waiting until you're terrified. You can try to run. And try to hide. But there is really only one way out. Crawl space. And hell. Crawl space. And we are back to talk about 1986's American horror thriller film, Crawl Space. Um, this movie is what you think it is. Uh, actually, no, you know what? There's not. There's no monster in a crawl space. Um, this isn't about John Wayne Gacy. It's just about Klaus Kinski. It's about Klaus Kinski. <laughs> As a former not the I'm sorry, the crazed son of a Nazi doctor uh, who's obsessed with torture and the death. And he's like a weird voyeur. Um, now, I I'd like this movie. But I have to admit, the story behind this movie kind of overshadows this for me. Because of the documentary the director made. Because of that and because like. Everyone knows the Herzog versus Kinski stories. Sure. Um, I actually think this is. I think this guy's story is is more compelling. Because this guy lacks the clout of like Werner Herzog, and he was still just like, I'm going to fucking go toe to toe with this guy because this is my movie and I'm going to get this made and I'm not going to let him break me. And. It's one thing when you hear Werner Herzog tell the story because Werner Herzog is also a crazy person, whereas the guy who made this movie is just a fucking dude. He's just like a normal guy who's like caught in the crosshairs of the um, 
I believe Werner Herzog referred to him as a great pestilence. He was caught in the path of the great pestilence that was Klaus Kinski, and he didn't back down. And I think that is utterly fascinating. Um, I, oh, I, the Kinski thing is hard. It's, it's, it's always going to be hard because um, there are certain levels of the Kinski thing, right? So, like, um, you know, the, the, worst, the worst level, the part at which it's like, well, fuck, Klaus Kinski, Jesus Christ, is the uh, sexual assault allegations from his daughter. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he. Let, let, let us be clear. This is not like this isn't like Pauly Shore or Nick Cage or uh, Gary right. Busey, where you're just dealing with an eccentric personality. Klaus Kinski was a evil motherfucker. Right, and it, well, and so here's the thing. I I guess it's hard because the allegations came out after he was dead, and you know, it's it's hard to know exactly what to make of it. I guess, but I I you know. I and I think you are too are very much in the uh, believe people when they say that these things happen because there's not really anything in it for her at this point to say that right there's no yeah. there's nothing she's gonna get up so I I believe her you know um so that's like horrifying right it, that that's who he was uh there is also the level let's let's say we move past the sexual allegations the thing that's l- less so right is the suspicion that many people had and the director doesn't talk about this, but if you watch the special features in the Blu-ray, they have a couple other people they talk to who say this. A lot of people suspect that Klaus Kinski was just mentally ill. And because he, uh, was an artist, people just were like, Oh, he's eccentric. And it's like, or he has untreated things that are causing him to act this way. And it's not about art. It's about him having trouble functioning in the world, you know? So, Oh no, he was, isn't it like he, he was like confirmed to be schizophrenic and that's why he acted this way. I mean, I guess I've never read anything that's confirmed that or not. I just was going off of interviews with people who worked with him who were like, I think he had issues that were not being addressed. And to me that the danger there uh, is not just, you know, uh, that he has these issues. It's that, you know, that we live in a world that because he's an actor, that like he could do all kinds of stuff and whatever. If it was, if the issue was more like Oliver Reed, right? Like, or, or as you said, some other people who are tough to work with, you know, sometimes Nicholas Cage is tough to work with. Oliver Reed famously was tough to work with. Um, granted Oliver Reed, maybe he assaulted someone. I don't know. He was, you know, a, a drunken man. It's possible. But if we just take, if we just take the hard to work with thing, I have like, no, <sighs> I think for you, you were like inspired by this guy's story. If I didn't think that Klaus Kinski was both a dangerous, you know, person dealing with issues and then also possibly a monster who like hurt a child, if you took those away and it was just, he is just an artist that's difficult to work with. I, every part of that is endearing actually. And it was, and it's, and it's funny to me, like watching the thing and this guy's complaining about Klaus Kinski. There's some part of me that goes, you had to know that going in, buddy. You knew you knew well, what yeah, you were getting going he in. Even, he even ends it with, he even ends it by saying, like, people are going to say, like, why did I put up with it? And they were like, um, he was like, have you seen the man? Like, right, right. he ends it, but, you know, it's not like he's saying, like, Kinski was, like, a bad actor. Like, he actually says at the end, he was like, I, it's unspoken that he was like, all the shit he put me through was worth it because, my God, right, seeing right. him act was, like, 
something else. Well, and even in this movie, which is by all accounts, a, a B movie, barely, you know, Kinski's performance is part of what makes the movie work. It's just hard to say that when it's like, uh, but he, he, it, it is very possible. He's more than just eccentric. It seems likely he's a fucking monster that the whole not the whole world. There are lots of people who fucking hated him, but a lot of the world just put up with it. Cause they were just like, Oh man, look how amusing this guy is. And you know, when he's in front of a crowd of people at a performance art thing in Germany, telling everyone he's Jesus. Yeah. That's, that's a deering. That is a deering. I'm not going to lie. Even some of the fucked up shit with, uh, Werner Herzog, you know, some of it is real fucked up, but some of it sort of borders on like, okay, I get why that's a good story for you. Mr. Herzog. I was going to call him Vernon. I was like, I can't. I can't call. can't address Mr. Herzog by his first name. You can't know. Uh, no, I just can't. Um, I get why some of those are just like a good story. But some of it is clearly not just a good story. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, they're, they're, the, the thing about Crawl Space is I generally enjoy this movie, but it is inevitably haunted by this feeling that, like, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have been filming Klaus Kinski for what? 30 40 years right like yeah maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't have been you know and and enjoying his performances the performances are amazing but holy fuck man like uh, you know I, anyway I, I guess at this point it's a little late to care you know he's he's gone the movies exist there's nothing i can do about it but it does make it hard because especially a movie like this where it's about someone who's fucked up and Maybe that's partly why he's so good at the portrayal. I don't know. But he is something else in this movie. And with with almost any other actor, this movie does not fucking work even for one second. No. Although I will say, I don't want it to come across that like this was a shit movie with an interesting production. No, I actually true. did. I, I, I did like this movie. I, I, you know, but I'll agree with you in saying if it was anybody else but klaus kinski this movie would be instantly forgettable maybe no it's not the same you could do this with udo kier and it would be (laughs) (laughs) okay okay yes but it wouldn't be the same perform it would still be upsetting but it wouldn't be what this movie is you know what i mean especially the, the the scenes that do it for me with him is not him being like in the nazi hat putting makeup on like the scenes is actually when he's supposed to be acting normal and he's whispering in the sort of whisper you say for somebody you're in bed with oh my god the fucking like the weird what are the kids that is it asmr the fucking noises his mouth makes i was like watching this being like oh god my my skin is actively trying to leave my body because he's just like and it's oh god it's just the way he talks he's like Oh, and when he like answers the door, uh, when she comes in, just like the scan his eyes do over her body, it's like fucking hell, man. Like reel it in. Jesus Christ. Yeah, there are a ton of people out there who are Klaus Kinsey experts, too. So we want to be clear. Like, I don't know about you. I, you know, I just I Internet searched the dude, you know, a while ago. And that's it. Like, I don't I'm no expert on the guy. So if you feel like you have more insight into him who he was, all that stuff. I'm just saying it's hard to, I, I want to acknowledge up front that for some people, you're never going to watch this movie because it's just like, well, I don't want to deal with the, the baggage of Klaus Kinski being in the movie, you know, but like the reality for me is 
I think it's a pretty good movie too. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it works for what it is. It's just if if someone is above it, you know. And 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 to be fair, when I bought this and I bought Venom and I bought I have another movie with Kitsky in it. You know, I mean, like I I always I was always on board with he's just an eccentric guy. I mean, that's really how they sell it to you if you're not willing to do the extra research. Is like yes, yes, Kinski is just an eccentric guy who did some crazy stuff. But, you know, it was the 70s. Everyone's crazy. And it's like, yeah, that's a big difference between that and sexually assaulting people. Like, those are two. There's a huge. Even if he, like, fired a gun at Herzog, I find that less upsetting than, than it's sexual assault. That's Absolutely. just the reality. I, I mean, that's the thing is, like, even when you read, like, this, like, you read about, like, my best friend and you watch some of the clips of Herzog talking about him. It's just like. I can almost relate to that. In the sense that, like, I've had friends over the years who, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but let's just say their name rhymes with Miss Meject, who their very presence drives me fucking mad and I want to kill them. But I also, like, would give my life for them and I love them deeply. But then on top of that, you have, you have like, that, like, you have the whole idea of, like, he was this, like, unknowable, like this talent that set him above everyone else, which is how you could describe like Nicolas Cage, that he's just this, he's such a weird guy that like, he's unknowable. But then it's like, no, Kinski was a person who was in desperate need of like, of, of medical help, didn't get it. And then committed, like he went beyond eccentric and went into the realm of like straight up fucking evil. And I, I think that that gets lost in the conversation a lot of times. Because, like, we did the movie, what was it, The Incident at Loch Ness, where they kind of poke fun at, like, Herzog's, like, past. And, like, he is a good sport about it, like Werner Herzog is. Um, it would be impossible for Klaus Kinski, Klaus Kinski to be a good sport about what he had done. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 uh, I just... One one thing I want to say about this movie is um, not to, like, get too uh, film critic about it, but the set design for this movie was fucking amazing. I agree. Um, and I mean, like, this the set design for this was, like, Hellraiser level amazing because it was this, like, relatively small apartment building, and the way they filmed it, it, it they made it, it seem this, like, strange, like, nightmare labyrinth building. And like I was watching it and just being like, this is so incredible how how they're doing this. They're just having these like these yawning hallways and these weird tiny tunnels. And like we never know where in the building oh, a room is. And like, I don't know, there's there was just something that was like jarring about that. And I really appreciate it that like the, that that someone made an effort to make this seem like just weird enough to keep you like off balance and guessing like. Like yeah. where in this building it took place, and I I, I just love that. Well, and the movie never really leaves the building, right? So like that's another thing. We yeah. are trapped in it. If it all feels so claustrophobic and sweaty, you yeah. Know? And um, you know, regardless of how you, how you feel about him as an actor, the the intensity that he brings to some of the least intense moments. So not just like the weird soft talking but like the journaling the casual conversations with the prisoner in the cage like 
there's all these levels to it, but also I feel like though they're not given a lot to do. I feel like the various women who live in the building are, uh, you know, just the right amount of sort of like a flavor of their characters that you like yes. care about what's going on with them. Also the, the character who's trying to get him, he's his, his father died in the hospital. Now he has this, uh, revenge against this doctor he has no concept of how dangerous this person is but he like has his own sense of like self-righteousness about it it all really works together um and again i don't i don't want to lift this up as some sort of amazing movie that you have to find out you know there's there's probably other kinsky performances that you know are worth it even if you're horrified by him but uh but for what it is i just think this movie's super effective and i saw it I actually saw it, I think, at a horror and it, like, stuck with me. And so when I saw the Blu-ray, although I, I will say it's it's not the best Blu-ray I've ever gotten. It doesn't have a ton of features and whatever like that. It was still, like, at the time, I was like, yo, I got to check that out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I don't really know if there's much more to say about this movie, except for the fact that, like, I know we've talked a lot about Klaus Kinski and, like, him as a person. Don't let that overshadow this movie. Like this movie is worth watching on its own. Sure. But I understand if someone doesn't want to, I guess that's what I was trying to say a little bit is like, I don't want anyone to think like, Oh, well the harvest guys don't care about that. Klaus cause he was a monster because that that's the reason that his daughter said something, right? Is everyone sort of fawning over Kinski after he died. And she's like, well, actually he's terrible, you know? So like, Oh, I absolutely. Yeah. Let, let, let it be. Let it be known that the official harvest yeah. stance is that Klaus Kinski is burning in hell right now, and I cannot be happier about that. Uh, I don't know about all that, but yeah, yeah, basically, probably. <laughs> um, but the point the point is, I guess, is that uh, I think you're right that like the uh, the movie is still pretty. You know, I hate to say it's fun, but it no, is fun. it is good at what it does. Um, I, you know, I don't know that everyone has the same sort of Nazi anxiety. You know, like this is a movie that's very much about how in 1986 people are still like, Oh shit, that fucking happened. Huh? You know, there's, there's, yeah, that, that, that we're still sort of haunted by the ghost of that. And in a sense, that's Kinski's character. His, his character isn't himself a Nazi, but he's almost like the pro, like he's still carrying the, the psychic baggage of who his father was. And maybe that sounds crazy to people who are younger and they don't understand that. But to me, there's something about that that entirely makes sense. It just, there's a logic to it that I'm like, okay, I get where this is going. That he's he's almost understanding his heritage uh, when he's understanding, because he's thinking about his father and who his father was and what his father did. There's something about that that like resonates even as it's kind of a super fucked up idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's just to put it in perspective, we are now as when this movie came out, we are roughly as removed from it time wise as this movie was from the end of World War Two. Right. This is technically speaking, this movie wasn't that, you know, like this was still like, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, like there was people like who were alive who weren't that old. were like, oh, yeah, Nazis. Yeah, they were fucking terrible. Um, and yeah, it's just. 
that's interesting that you say that that he kind of bears the 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 that the 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 essence of his father as a Nazi is still present there in him. Like well, he, he, the character suggests it himself. He thinks that he inherited something that somehow yeah. his desire to kill comes from his father genetically, which is of course ridiculous, but it sort of shows his connection to the kind of fucked up race science that the Nazis believed in, that he's sort of reliving that when in reality, like, you know, I think he just, you know, uh, had an experience of the sort of uh, godhood that sometimes doctors buy into of themselves. And now he's connecting that to the fucked up shit that was his father and his father's obsession with, torture and death you know um yeah. and it's it, it's all kind of psychologically hacky a little bit but it, it doesn't have to be insightful for the movie and it, and it works in the context of the movie i absolutely think it does yeah all right i think that's all we can really say about crawl space um yeah. it's a it good is, movie it is so fucking sweaty he's so fucking upsetting uh <laughs> but i like you know i like the main the main lady in it i think she's pretty good and the to me actually i thought the performance that stood out other than the insanity that's Klaus Kinski was the the woman in the cage. I oh think my god, that's a hard thing to pull off, and she does it really, really well. I I really wish you hadn't brought that up because now I have to think about it. <laughs> it's so upsetting, but she she sells it in a way. Yeah, that's not easy to do. I am gonna say this, please, please, please. I implore you, watch this film before you watch anything else about this film. Before you read anything about it, just go watch this movie. And then once you watch it, once you consume it relatively blind, then look into the making of it. Um, I don't want you it's don't let don't let the making of this movie overshadow the make the, the, this this film itself, because it is a good enough movie that it deserves to be consumed free of any knowledge of how it was made. Um, but once you've done that, watch the making of it and. Give yourself a little treat. Agreed. Yeah. So that's Horror Business. That was this episode of Horror Business. Um, you can head to www.cinepunks.com to check out more episodes of this podcast and like a few other ones, including Liam's own Cinepunks and 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 Twitch of the Death Nerve and and Cinema Smorgasbord and what else do we have? Um, the Carnage Report, our newest, our newest John. Yeah, we love you, Carnage Report. Um, check out our sponsors, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, Essex Coffee Roasters, and Mechanical Shark Media. And um, until next time, uh, Millie Vanilli, we're not lip syncing. Oh, hot take. Hot takes with Justin. <laughs> All right. Okay, good night. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. We'll talk about telpomancy. Haunted railroads. Sentient umbrella spirits. Mind-altering video games. Remote viewing. Spongebob conspiracy theories. And only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!